Praise the Lord. It's good to have everybody in the house this morning. Why don't you, you got a good start already. Just stand and greet somebody near to you. We're going to jump right in in just a moment. If you've already greeted everybody, you can sit down. Praise the Lord. We are so thankful for everybody that came out and gave your Saturday morning. As I, as we found out, uh, if you love the Word of God and the preaching of the Word of God, you've got to fall in love with William Wood because he is a Word preacher. And uh, so enjoyed the presence of God last night. Uh, you can go ahead and be seated this, this morning. We're going to jump right into it. Let's open up in prayer and just believe God to open our hearts to receive. Amen. To listen to whatever it is God wants to do in us and through us. Father, we want to magnify your holy name. You are worthy. And Lord, I just pray, God, that you would just continue, Lord, by the Spirit to move in this house, move upon our hearts. Lord, we, we cannot be satisfied, Lord, as David said. We cannot be satisfied until I awaken your likeness. Lord, I just pray that your image, Lord God, would be reflected in us every day. And Lord, we thank you, God, for your mercy and your grace. And everybody said amen. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, William, jump on in here and take a, take us take over here. Thank you, brother. Well, good morning, family. Come on. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? Anybody have fun last night? <laughs> you know, I really appreciate it when I come to a church and the people really understand my sense of humor and they get me you know I'm, I'm my dad was a very sarcastic person and and now since he's saved is sanctified sarcasm so I would like to think that my sarcasm is sanctified praise Jesus but you know we need to come to church and laugh and have a good time you know I mean that's what it should be I can't guarantee you Jesus is not depressed you know He's not sad to be here, so why are we sad, right? And so I love it when I come to a church in an environment that's lively and, and, and they're excited to be in the house of the Lord. They want to worship. They want to shout. They want to jump. I mean, I, I love that. You know, I had a guy that was attending our services one time, and, and our services would get a little bit crazy. You know, we would have flaggers, and we would have people drawing pictures. They would call it prophetic art. Some of them were more like stick figures. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, they were coming along, and, and this one guy came up to me. He says, William, these services get crazy. Like, people are, are running around. They're shouting. He, he said, this is not very reverent. I says, no, what do you mean it's not reverent? Them worshiping their creator is not reverent? I said, by the way, didn't I see you at the football game last weekend with your face painted red, screaming at the top of your lungs over a man carrying a leather ball? <clears throat> 
He was like, yeah, I kind of get your point there. I says, you know, if I'm going to get excited about anything, it's going to be about Jesus. Amen. Oh. Listen, listen, I've been super excited to have uh, this session with you this morning. I am going to get into some of the material that's in my books. I want to make a mention again, my, my new book, Every Day of Victory, is out there. The reason I bring the, these types of products is because I can say more in a book context than I can in an hour or two hours of preaching or teaching. And I understand that I, even though I'm a southern boy, I talk really, really fast. So I already know it's hard sometimes to take notes. Sorry, Pastor, but she's already taking notes. You're just listening. You get it, brother. But I will encourage you this. Uh, they are recording these sessions, so if you want to get that and go back and listen to it, please, I encourage you to do that. But let me kind of pick up where I left off last night and give some purpose behind uh, why I shared what I shared there's two reasons. Number one, I wanted you to hear my journey, my story to the Lord coming out of atheism, coming out of drugs, coming out of alcohol. But I also wanted to partner that with the, the intention of God that the primary way that he works on the earth is through his people formed in his image, right? That is the primary way. It's not the only way. It is the primary way. What I've noticed in America, and I'm just going to do a little bit of review, the primary doctrine here is the overemphasis of the sovereignty of God, but we think God is in control of everything, even our individual wills. And it's such a convenient theology because we get to blame him for our lives being messed up rather than us taking responsibility for them. so But when you read the biblical narrative, you have to come to the conclusion, no, the primary way that he works on the earth is people formed in his image. But here's the thing. Can God do things without you? Absolutely. He doesn't need us to accomplish anything, but he created us to be with us. He created us to fellowship with us, to walk with us, to talk with us. He created us to do things in, 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 in alignment with who we are. That's his whole purpose. And so last night with my story, I shared that God sovereignly came to me and saved me and delivered me. But the point that I really wanted to make is that my salvation was a byproduct of his sovereign will but it should have been a byproduct of the church's yielded will. I want you to think about that statement. I believe there are a lot of things that the Lord does on the earth out of his sovereign will simply because the church has refused to do it by her yielded will. So it's like a response type thing. Well, if they're not going to do it, I'm still going to accomplish my purpose on this earth, but I really want my people to be the ones I accomplish that purpose through. But if they are disobedient, I'm still God, and so therefore I'm still going to accomplish it. So I don't want you to misunderstand what I was talking about that when I said that, that we can limit the will of God in our life according to our partnership with it or yielding to it, right? Because we can in so many ways, but God can still veto those things. And so this morning, I want to pick up from where I left off, and I want to get into Genesis chapter 3 right here. And if you, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to really get into it today. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. And if we're going to walk in freedom and we're going to walk in victory, we need to 
understand that there is a spiritual world all around us and there's a spiritual enemy that is coming against us and his name is Satan, right? How many of us know that, that there's demons all around right now? All around this town, all around the state, there's a, there's a spiritual world. But in America, again, what we think is all the demons are off in another country somewhere. And, but no, they're actually all around us. I want you to follow with me with this line of thought just real quick before we get into the word. All around us right now in this room, there are natural invisible realities. There are TV signals in this room. There are radio signals in this room. The reason that we agree with that and believe that is because we can act, we've actually seen the manifestation of it or heard the manifestation of it. Because we can bring a TV in here. We can turn that tele television on, and the receiver on that TV will give you a visible picture of an unseen reality. Well, how many of us know the Word of God is spiritual? truth. And so what the Word of God does, in the same way that TV gives you a, a visible picture of an unseen reality, what the Word of God will do is will give you a visible image on the inside of the unseen kingdom all around us, of the spiritual world all around us. And so if we're ignorant of God's Word, we're going to be ignorant of the spiritual world. Man, I'm saying some good stuff right here. And so when I begin to study the Bible in relation to how the enemy comes against us because we do not need to be ignorant of his schemes. But I want you to understand this. I'm not a devil guy. I'm a Jesus guy. When I look at the devil, it's always through the lens of Christ. Because when I look at the devil through the lens of Christ, he is victim to my victory. Say this with me. Satan is victim to my victory. He is the one that's in the defeated position. Satan has already been disarmed and defeated in relation to you as a son and a daughter. So the only way he can have power in your life is through your human agreement. Is if he can convince you that you are the one defeated. So victory begins as a mindset. It begins with, I understand that in Christ, I have all, all victory and freedom in him. And he has all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, there's no jurisdiction to his authority or dominion. But yet we create these religious beliefs in the church that says stuff like this. Well, I can't go minister over in that town or that city. I don't have authority to go there. Well, Jesus, that one that has all authority, told you to go there. And there is no jurisdiction to his authority. So maybe there's a demonic principality over that region or city. is because we've created belief systems that neutralizes the commission of going to dismantle those things. Because we believe they have a right to be there. They don't have a right to be there. You have a right to be there. This is a power pause, just letting you think. What do you mean, William? In the same way that God is seeking partnership with man to move on the earth is the same way that the devil needs human agreement with people to accomplish his agenda on the earth. So the darkness that you see in the world is simply reveals the level of human agreement with the darkness. And what is actually enthroning the powers and principalities is the authority that man is enthroning them with. 
Because when I come into agreement with a demonic spirit, I actually give that demon purpose in my life, and I actually authorize its existence and its power to destroy me. All right, hold on. We're going to get to Genesis 3 in a minute. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, and you'll notice there's no recorded miracles that Jesus performed until after he came out of the season. You'll also notice he did not exercise public authority over the devil until after he came out of the wilderness season. And who was the first person that he confronted was confronted with in the wilderness season in the 40 days in private? It was the devil. What did the devil say to Jesus? in Matthew chapter 4. He says, if you are the Son of God, that's attack on his identity, he says, command that these stones become bread. Listen to what Satan says. If you are, command. What was Satan trying to do? He was trying to get Jesus' identity to come under the influence of his voice so that he could uh, usurp the authority of his sonship. If, if Satan could have spoke to Jesus and got Jesus to use his authority to do what he suggested, then he would have allowed, then he would have actually got Jesus to authorize his purpose. All right. You see, what you speak, you authorize. And when you speak things that contradict the authority of God's word, you are authorizing a reality in your life that God never intended for you to experience. And so everything that I do, I make sure that my mindset, my belief system is biblical because I, well, it, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I want my heart so filled with truth and so filled with the word of God that when I open my mouth, the prophetic utterance that flows out of it is the truth of God's word. And that truth dismantles every power and principality around me. It dismantles every demonic agenda around me. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out 70 people, and they go out proclaiming the gospel, and they return to Jesus, and they say this, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus responds and says, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like light. In other words, from his place of influence. Why? The demonic powers was broken through the advancement of the gospel, and as the advancement of the gospel was being proclaimed, it was breaking the human agreement that was enthroning Satan. And when that human agreement was broken that enthroned him into that place of influence, he had to fall from his place of dominance. And so the gospel is really the key to the nation. But if we get sidetracked and distracted by all these peripheral, peripheral issues and stop preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and when I say gospel, I'm not just talking about the salvation message. I'm actually talking about the inauguration of the kingdom through your life where you're healing the sick, you're raising the dead, you're cleansing the lepers, you're advancing the kingdom because the gates of Hades shall not prevail against you. A gate is not an offensive position. It is a defensive posture, meaning you are the one that's in advancement. You see, my entire existence is keeping the devil on his toes. He's always backing up on his heels and he's like, oh man, William's here again. 
You see, when I walk into the room, the devil walks out the back door because the son just walked in. You see, James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he... So is the devil running to you or from you? Because if he's, not running, if he's not running from you, you may be given his presence purpose. But when I walk into the room, I see the devil through the lens of Jesus, and he's defeated and he's disarmed in relation to me. He has no right, no authority, no place in my heart. So therefore, I exercise that authority over him. Here's the key factor. Jesus has already provided the victory to you, but it's your responsibility to appropriate it. Man, I'm preaching some good stuff right here. I'm going to go home blessed by this. Well, why am I saying all this? I'm trying to instill a mindset, an attitude in your heart, and that attitude is a victorious attitude. This false humility type thing that we've crept in into the church where, where this false humility is this. I demean myself in order to exalt Christ. That is not what God has asked you to do. He has never asked you to demean yourself. True humility is simply the exalting of Jesus in everything that I do. I don't have to demean myself in that process because I'm actually formed in his image. And so when I demean myself, I'm distorting the image I was created in. Am I talking too fast? I'm trying to get a lot out there in two hours. I shouldn't have told you we were going to talk for two hours. It's only going to be 30 minutes. You know, if we could watch a football game all day long, sit on the tailgate and drink beer all day long, then I think we can come to church and get drunk in the Holy Ghost and wake up with a good, you know. <laughs> Amen. I know you guys are not beer drinkers or anything like that, but. You get my point, right? We, we, we've got to be more committed to the gospel than we were committed to the devil. And I used to put my body through hell, hell and back to go do a drug. I would stay up for days and go without food and go without all kinds of stuff. And you think I'm going to be more committed to the work of the devil than I am the work of Jesus? Anyway, I'm laying this foundation, this attitude, this mindset that I want you to leave here. So you know what? I'm not going to tolerate the devil in my house anymore. I'm going to go home and tell him to get his stupid butt out of my house and to never come back. So, listen, some of you, you need to anoint your house. You need to anoint your land. You need to tell the devil to get his butt out of there and stop inviting him back through the things you entertain in your home. You come over to my house, I promise you, you'll be asleep on my couch in 10 minutes because my house is a house of peace and rest. Because I do not invite the devil to come into my house and pay him money to entertain me. What do you mean? It's called a television. Television. It gives you a vision. It leaves an imprint in your heart. What are you beholding? Man, a lot of times we go home and we watch murder, deceit, and adultery on TV as entertainment. We pay hundreds and thousands of dollars a year for the devil to pump his lies and his propaganda and his agenda into our house. We get our eschatology on CNN and Fox News instead of the Bible. Oh, Lord. Not you. Those people didn't come this morning. <laughs> 
But, but you, I'm just laying a foundation here. Like, like I am committed to this stuff. I want my, I want my, uh, my heart and my passion to come across to you that I am committed to this stuff. Like, I'm 18 years into that encounter that I talked about last night, and I haven't let up not one time. I don't even understand nor comprehend the concept of backsliding. What do you backslide from God for? That don't even make sense. That's like be, that's like dumb to the second power. That don't even go comprehend it you know I'm like backsliding I'm like I have Jesus and he thinks I'm to die for and, and he paid the ultimate price to be in divine communion with me and so why do I want to do something to hinder or break that fellowship oh man I want to be devoted I want to pursue him but how does the enemy disrupt that that's what I want to get to well, I would like to suggest to you the same blueprint that he used against Adam and Eve is the same blueprint that he's going to get, use against you and I. Satan, listen, Satan is not a creator. He cannot create things. He can only manipulate what has been created. He only counterfeits the authentic. I want you to think about what I, what I just said. The re, there's two reasons the devil counterfeits things. Number one is to pull you completely into the counterfeit or to get you to lose trust in the authentic. When it comes to the power of the Spirit, we see all these counterfeit kundalini things, uh, 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 new age, Ouija boards, all these things are counterfeits. Why? Either to pull people into that or, when, 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 or pervert certain biblical concepts and, 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 and redefine them in such a way that if something like that is mentioned in church, people say, oh, they must be part of new age. They must be part of the kundalini spirit. People are falling down. They're saying fire. No, the, the Holy Spirit is not counterfeiting the kundalini spirit. The kundalini spirit is counterfeiting the Holy Spirit. And so he does that to get people to lose trust in the authentic expression of God. And if he gets you there, it's actually more dangerous because now you become no threat. And just because the devil isn't bothering you doesn't mean you're exercising victory. It may just mean you're no threat to what he's trying to do. If you don't run into the devil every now and again, you may be walking with him. All right. To bump into somebody means you have to be going in opposite directions with All right. I'm, listen, I am really a, a nice guy. If you hung out with me after the church service, I promise you, you would like me. <laughs> but one thing I don't tolerate, I don't tolerate a defeated mindset. I va listen, I value you too much to let you live in defeat. If I don't speak the truth for, to you, I actually reject it for you. Do you hear what I just said? If I don't speak the truth to you, I actually reject it for you. And we cannot allow culture to cause us as the church to, 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 to water down biblical truth. Seeker-sensitive services simply means this. I've created a culture in my church to accommodate sin. 
Because I don't want sin to be uncomfortable. Jesus did not come and imitated the world. He actually came and revealed his world. When we create an atmosphere of heaven, when people that are in sin comes into that environment, they're not going to feel judgment and condemnation. They're going to be revealed or exposed to purpose, destiny, and value. And they're going to see, man, I came in in depression and fear and anxiety, adultery, alcoholism, whatever it is. But when I'm in this environment, I have this conviction in my heart, but it's not, oh, dirty, rotten me. It's, oh, good Lord, thank Thank you, Jesus, that you love me in spite of me. And it delivers people. But the way the enemy disrupts us is the same way that he came against Adam and Eve. And so I want you to write these two words down before we get into Genesis 3 right here. And I would like to suggest to you there are only two ways that the enemy comes against you. Deception. And temptation. Deception and temptation. The power of deception is simply the ignorance of truth. The power of deception is simply the ignorance of truth. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 says, my people perish for lack of. John chapter 8 verse 32 says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall. So the truth you don't know is what's keeping you bound. Every bondage in your life is a byproduct of a lie believed. And what gives a lie purpose in your heart is the ignorance of truth. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, it says, put on, or put on the helmet of salvation and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so the word of God or the war, spiritual battle or sword of truth is your weapon of warfare. But if I am ignorant of that weapon of warfare, I'm engaging in a battle with no weapon. And th listen, the major access point that the devil looks to to come against you with is the access point or avenue of the mind. I want you to think about it this way. Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, For as a man thinks in himself, so he is. As you think, so you are. So your state of being is dependent upon the meditation of your heart and mind. If you don't believe the Word of God, then study science. <laughs> science is even proving that your body responds on a cellular level to your thoughts. And your thoughts literally take on a physical form inside of your being. And so if you think sick, it'll take on a physical form of sickness. If you think depression, it'll take on a physical form of depression. There's a book out there by this, this, this Christian... Uh, psychologist that has come that has spent her entire life studying the science of uh, the science between the connection between thoughts and the body her name is Dr. Caroline Leaf she has this book called Switch on the Brain I would encourage you to read that book it's very insightful now she's not a theologian I'm just telling you. So when you read it, some of her use of Scripture is not actual good use of Scripture, but the science behind what she's saying is what you need to pay attention to. 
Because you're, you're by, she's basically showing through science that what God has been telling us all along, he's like, yeah, why did you need science to prove to you what I've been telling you people all along? All you had to do was meditate on the right things, focus on the right things. Philippians 4 says, says to pursue these things or to meditate on these things or to think on these things, and it gives a whole list. So, so the whole point I'm making is this, is that your mind is a gateway and truth is a gatekeeper. Your mind is a gateway and truth is a gatekeeper. In other words, if I have truth in my heart, it protects me from things that, are, that the enemy or the world is trying to project upon me. Because that truth is my weapon of warfare. And it's, and it's breaking off those lies before it has an opportunity to even get into my heart to produce whatever it wants to produce. Does that make sense? Amen. And so the power of deception is simply the ignorance of truth. The second one, temptation, it, 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 the Lord really spoke to me on this. And this changed a lot for me. And the Lord said this. He says, well, the power of temptation is simply human agreement. He says, but not only that, the way the devil tempts us is by projecting upon us his own sin nature, hoping that we come into agreement with his desires. In other words, when a spirit of fear comes against you, the reason you experience fear is because that spirit itself is afraid. It's literally projecting its own, its own nature upon you, hoping that you come into agreement with what you feel. And so, therefore, when I have desires that contradict the, the Word of God, the nature of God, the fruit of the Spirit, I do not accept them as my state of being. I actually deny them access into my heart. And so, when depression is not a fruit of the Spirit, so, therefore, it cannot be part of my existence. Anger is not a fruit of the Spirit, therefore it cannot be part of my existence. Uh, living in offense and gossip, and all it's not part of my nature in Jesus, therefore I do not grant it access. I, in other words, I do not grant it access by coming into agreement with it. Is this helping? Yeah. You see, some of us are falling into sinful patterns not because necessarily those desires were yours, but because a spirit was projecting that desire upon you, hoping that you, you mistaked it as yours and took ownership of it so that its desire will become your desire. Now, James 1 does talk about us being enticed and taken away by, by our own desires. That's not what I'm referencing here. I'm talking about how the enemy comes against you. Does this make sense? So when I go into regions and environments and I go into places, because we all live in the world, which means there's demons all around us, there's angels all around us, you have to understand there's things being projected upon you all the time, but the good thing is you, they do not have to affect you. They do not have to determine how you react or respond. Listen, what happens to you does not have the authority to determine what happens in you unless you agree with it. You know, I shared my story last night, and there's probably some people that heard my story and say, I don't believe that because I, don't, I can't even tell he's ever done drugs before in his life. There's a reason because I'm a new creation. 
I'm not a cleaned up version of who I used to be. You see what I'm saying? And so when the enemy, he tries to project these old patterns on me, these old thoughts on me, these old desires, I'm like, why do I want to connect myself with who I was prior to the cross? Why am I now going to empower something Jesus has disarmed and defeated and cut away from me? You need to get to this point in your heart and your life where you understand that in Jesus you carry his very nature, the nature of God inside of you. You're not prone to living in sin. You're prone to walking in righteousness. Anybody that takes the gospel, the message of grace and thinks it gives them permission to live in sin is a disgrace. The grace of God protects the holiness of God. The reason I'm saying all this is because Adam and Eve in this situation was created in the image of God, perfect. They didn't have a sinful nature to sin. They were not prone to these things. So how can people that were perfect kind of like you and I in the spirit? Now, when your new creation is in your spirit, that's where it's taking place, spirit, soul, and body. It's in your spirit. You are you're a new creation where you carry the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the fruit of the Spirit, all those things. So the enemy is going to try to come against your flesh. But you need to understand, you can bring that flesh under the dominance of the Spirit and live that way. But these, these guys were perfect in every aspect of the way. And so how could he get them to fall into sin? Deception and temptation. So now let's look in Genesis chapter 3 and begin to unpack this. Is this helping? I know I'm saying a lot, and I've already been talking 40 minutes, and I haven't made a point yet. Well, I guess I made two points, deception and temptation. You know, Dr. Randy Clark, my spiritual father, he, he, uh, he, he's a story guy. And he always makes fun of me. He says, William, you need more stories. And I always make fun of him. I says, well, you need more points. <laughs> I says, you're not making any points. He's like, well, the story is the point. I said, no, the story made me go to sleep. I said, I want to know what the point is. I don't want to hear the whole elaborate story behind the point. I want to know what, what God says. <laughs> and so me and Randy, we just joke back and forth. I'm giving you some insight into kind of his, his personality. And it's not like we're mad at each other. We're just having poking fun at one another. He's a, he's a great spiritual father. He's one of the most empowering leaders I've ever served under. And he told me when I started traveling, William, I want you to be William Wood, not Randy Clark. Because we minister very differently. Genesis chapter 3. Now let's pay attention to how the enemy came against Adam and Eve. It says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Let's go back up here just real quickly. Now the serpent was more cunning. That's the first word I want to focus on right here. That word cunning means crafty. The way that I actually like to describe the nature of the demonic is he's a master illusionist. He's a master at creating false narratives that have no reality until you agree with them and then you provide substance to that illusion. A lie carries no reality, no substance to it until you agree with it, and then you provide the substance. Yeah. 
For instance, I can guarantee you right now, people that, that get up in the morning and they watch the news stations all day long, I can guarantee you they are captured in a world of illusions. They're captured in a world of false narratives, false realities, false agendas. And the reason that the media, that the enemy wants to use that, av that avenue to pump this agenda into us because they know or the enemy knows the only way those things can be produced in the land is if the people buy into the illusion or the narrative and will it into existence. Let me make this even more on a practical level. I, and again, I'm not being harsh for harshness sake, but I guarantee you there are still people in this town that's using toilet paper they bought in 2020. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because what happened when COVID started coming, everything started getting shut down, all, all of a sudden people's, people's unsanctified imaginations started going rampant and all of a sudden based on whatever news media or based on whatever movie that they saw about the uh, zombie apocalypse or they watched I Am Legend with Will Smith and they're like, oh no, we're all going to turn into zombies and we're going to die. We, we, we need to go buy all the toilet paper and the canvas we need for 35 years. Like, 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 you know that took place, and, and it caused this frenzy. I remember I was at a healing conference. I came home and went to Walmart, and there was no toilet paper in Walmart except for that one ply, you know, the kind that dissolves in your hand before you wipe anything with it. And I was like, I'm like, man, what is going on? And, 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 and I realized, like, like, people out of fear, whoo. People out of fear and illusion was acting irrationally, and, and, and doing things because they went into survival mode. survival mode. I need to take care of me and mine. I'm not concerned about everybody else's provision. You see what I'm saying? And so the enemy comes in with these illusions that carry no reality until you come into agreement with it and then you bring the substance. When you act on it, you bring the substance. You know, I love my family particularly my granddad. My granddad owned a salvage business, and he was like the real-life Sanford and Son. I mean, he really, he was. Because he, he had 20 acres of land. We had all these old Studebakers and stuff on it, and we would, we would go and work out there in the, in the salvage yard, and we would come in, and we would eat lunch, and then we would watch Days of Our Lives on TV. Anybody used to watch Days of Our Lives? <laughs> You know, is it still on, by the way? Like, my gut's got to be like the longest run, and please don't tell me because that lets me know you've been watching it. And, and we would go in, and we would watch Days of Our Lives, and then all of a sudden a commercial break would come on, right? And this, a commercial would say something like this. Well, if you wake up in the morning, you have this kind of headache or this kind of blood pressure or this kind of back pain, you probably got this disease. But the good thing is you can call us. We'll send you this little blue pill. You can take this little blue pill, but the side effect is you're going to have runny stools for six months. Like, you ever seen those commercials? And I would watch my granddad watch the commercial, and by the time the commercial was over with, he would have convinced himself that he needed that medication. 
I'm like, Granddad, you don't need that. You don't have those things. He said, well, I had one thing they talked about. Why do you think they describe so many different ones? Because they're going to know at least one of those suckers is going to connect with somebody, and they're going to, it is a business. And I would watch my granddad through an illusion convince himself something that he acted on. I believe a lot of people are bound in the illusions of the mind, not in the realities of the world. I can stop right now, let you think about that the rest of your life. That'll change you. That's why I'm able to live and I'm able to go into some of the deep, darkest places because I'm not going in there with an awareness of the world, but with an awareness of the world in me. That I carried the kingdom of God. It is unseen. It is an invisible realm, but it is real. And I carry an assignment in my life to bring into the land the kingdom of God because it is his will for it to be on earth as it is in heaven, Matthew 6. But if we get caught up in the illusions of the mind and the fears of the heart, what happens is now we begin to act on those illusions and act on those fears and become part of the problem instead of the solution. And so you see right here that he's a master illusionist. He's crafty. But notice the next thing that he, uh, the thing that he says to, to Eve right here. It says, now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. I do want to make a point first about this term serpent. And I was meditating on these texts one time, and I, I was... Uh, Asking the Lord, I says, Lord, why did a serpent come to Eve? Why wasn't it something like more powerful that would come against her? And the Lord spoke to me and says, because she is the one that had authority and dominion over him. He could not force her into compliance. He had to deceive her into compliance. That's why in the garden he came to Eve in the form of a serpent and not in the form of a lion or a bear or something or, or tiger or something like that is because he couldn't force her into obedience or compliance with his agenda. He had to deceive her into compliance with his agenda. It's the same way with you and our day. The devil is not, can't force you to do anything. Stop blaming the devil for your own stupidity. You did that. You made a conscious choice to be in agreement with whatever that was and act on it. Then he goes on to say this. He says, and he said to the woman, which means he's speaking to her, he's projecting on her, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So what is the very first thing that the serpent does? The serpent asks a question that undermines the command of God. He asks a question. What is he doing? He's, when the devil speaks to you, he's projecting his voice upon you, and he's looking for access in the heart and the mind. He's looking for something. Are you going to stop it, or are you going to listen to it? 
Are you going to deny it or are you going to accept it? I'm getting there, brother. Don't, don't, don't mess my message up. I'm messing with you. But he's projecting this thought. Well, did God really say, or did God really say you shall not partake of every tree of the garden? So he asks a question that undermines the command of God. How does he, how does he strategically do this in our life today? By introducing to us facts but not truth. You may be thinking, well, facts and truth, that's the same thing, William. You're not making sense. No, every truth is a fact, but not every fact is a truth. It may be true that you have a sickness, but truth says by his wounds you are healed. And so are you going to be factual or are you going to be truthful? This is the way he does it in our life today. He gets us to look to the facts of life and not the truth of God's promise. And to illustrate this point, turn with me over to Luke chapter 1. Is this helping anybody? In Luke chapter 1, we have a story here of, of a man named Zechariah and a woman named Elizabeth, which is uh, the father and mother of John the Baptist. And at the time, Zechariah is a priest. He's doing his priestly duties, and he actually has an angelic visitation. Now, let me ask you, if you had an angel appear to you tonight in your bedroom, hotel room, whatever it is, and this angel came and wanted to give a prophetic word to you, would you agree with it or believe it? Well, I wonder how Zechariah is about to handle his angelic visitation. In verse 13 in Luke chapter 1, it says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard. And so he's come in response to his prayer. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. Now, the angel makes a point here and pay attention to his emphasis. The angel says this, your wife, Elizabeth, will, doesn't say that she might, says that she will bear him a son. Now, pay attention to what he goes on to say. And you shall give his, give his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make a ready, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord." Wow, isn't that an amazing prophetic word? Like, like if I had an angel appear to me tonight and told me the, the, the child that my wife was going to have together was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in her womb and, and have this great uh, assignment, I would be overwhelmed with joy. But Zechariah responds, and Zechariah says this in verse 18, How shall I know this is for certain? I'm like, what do you mean, how do you know what's for certain? You have an angel standing in front of you. Do you know what Zechariah is doing? I need another confirmation from you, God. He's confirmation seeking. Now, is there anything wrong with seeking confirmations? No, absolutely not. But when your confirmation seeking gets up into five or six or ten different times, what, what's taking place is that you want to appear to be obedient to the promise long enough you feel comfortable being disobedient to the promise. You want to say, Lord, I tried. 
I, I tried to be obedient to it. You didn't meet all my qualifications. You didn't meet all my confirmations. You, you, you didn't have those birds fly by my house and talk to me like, you, like I asked you to do. And we come up with all these confirmations seeking sometimes, and I'm thinking, man, I don't even know God can perform some of these things that people are asking him to do to confirm that he spoke to them. Like, listen, have you ever had a promise from God where it's obvious in his word, it's obvious to everybody around you, but you were still disobedient to it? This is what Zechariah is doing. Zechariah said, so I know this is for certain. I, I need another confirmation. And then he tells the angel why the word or the truth of his promise cannot take place. And he says this, for I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. What is he doing? He's taking the facts of his life and prophesying to the truth of his promise. He's evaluating his destiny based on the facts of his life. He's evaluating what God can do with him based on his current circumstance or history. Listen, I've been told every reason under the sun why I should not be doing what I am doing. I mean, the first prophetic word that I ever received in my life, we had this, this, this prophet come to our church, and he's standing up there, and he's, he's prophesying, and he calls me out in the back of the room, and he says, you, sir, stand up. What is your name? It's William Wood. He says, William, I see a great destiny on your life. He says, one day you'll be able to minister in the next county. And I remember because at that time I'm dreaming about going to the nations of the world and I'm like, even the prophet don't even see destiny on me. I'm like, the destiny, I mean, like the prophet is saying the only thing he's ever going to do in his life is he, he might cross the county line over into destiny. Now, now, if God has called you to be in the county that you grew up in, that's where you need to be. That is destination for you. But if God has birthed something in your life to go to the nations of the world, you cannot let man's opinion to become the authority of God's voice in your life. And I remember I would hear these people saying things like that, and I would have these religious people come put their arm around me and say, William, I, I know what you've been through in life. You know, it's, it's, really, it's really scarred you. It's probably going to limit what God can really do with you because once people find out about your history, so when, so when did my history become the prophetic voice of my destiny? So when did my history have the authority to determine the level of, 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 of destiny and value and purpose that I can express? And I would have these, these religious people put their arm around me and say, well, say things like, well, I know you're excited about God. Give it four years. You'd be depressed like me. <laughs> and I'm thinking, man, these people are jacked up. And I realized I cannot listen to the opinions of man. I've got to go to the authority of God's word, and I've got to let that promise that he has spoken about me become the prophetic utterance of my life, the direction of my life. In spite of my circumstances, in spite of my facts, I know that I have limited education, limited background. I know that I've been through this. I know that I've been through that. But man doesn't determine my qualification. God determines my qualification, and he is the one that's anointed me. He is the one that's 
is justified, made me righteous and holy and pure. So why do I now want to replace what God thinks about me with what man thinks about me? <laughs> and so he's taken the facts of his life and he's prophesying to the truth of his promise and he's telling the angel why this word cannot be true. And when he says this to the angel, it forces the angel to justify his own existence. And in verse 19, he says this, And the angel answered and said to him, I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak and bring this good news to you, you idiot. That's kind of how I picture this whole scene going down. Because look, look at how it's worded. I'm Ga look, you can't read it like, I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and bring these glad tidings. He didn't say it like that. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm Gabriel. I come from the presence of God. You don't read your Bible, New King James. Oh, you don't read it. You don't understand who I am. Like I came from the very presence of God, and I am bringing a message to you, and you are not agreeing with it? Now pay attention to what Gabriel goes on to do. Verse 20. It says, but behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day which these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be, will be, will be fulfilled in their proper time. And so what Gabriel has to do, because Zechariah didn't come into agreement with the promise, he was in agreement with the facts of his life, what Gabriel had to do in order for the promise to come about in his life is that he had to close his mouth for the duration of time so that the promise or the promise of his son can become through his lineage. In other words, if Zechariah could have talked for the duration of nine months, his words would have aborted his promise. In this situation, his silence had more authority than his voice. In this situation, it would have been better for him to, to have voluntary silence. And I, and I do this all the time. When I'm in a situation where I feel like I'm not going to speak the truth of God's promise, I just be quiet because I know whatever word he speaks, that word carries this authority and power within itself to accomplish its own purpose. And all I have to do is allow that word to work and not dismantle it with my voice and allow that word to produce its purpose and intention in my life because it does not return back unto him void without accomplishing the purpose in which it was sent. And so what I do sometimes is I just go on a silent fast. If I'm in a situation, if I can't speak in faith, I don't say anything. Some of us need to go on a silent fast at least the rest of our life. And I promise you, you'll see a lot more promises being birthed in your life, in your lineage, lineage if you just... Kept silent, kept, kept on track, kept walking with the Lord, stayed in agreement, and just allowed that word to produce his purpose. You see, Proverbs 18, 20, 21 says, Life and death is in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. The fruit thereof is referencing the words they just spoke. A lot of the problems we have are the ones we propolied. 
<laughs> I know I have a lot of sayings, don't I? I notice a lot of the issues that I experience is the ones I created through my voice. Because you'll eat the fruit thereof of what you speak. And so in this situation, Gabriel understands the power of voice. He understands the power of voice, and so he closes his mouth that doesn't give him the ability to speak so that John the Baptist, the forerunner to Jesus, he's fairly significant, can actually come about in his life. But his father, Zechariah, almost had him aborted. Family, this right here changed you. Man, it's already 11 o'clock. Man. Is this helping? Family, as I began to study these, these texts, the Lord has just ministered to me so powerfully in this. Back to Genesis 3. I want to see how this. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's a good point. Did you, get, did you guys hear that? Well, talk to him afterwards. <laughs> right now, we're going somewhere. But Genesis chapter 3, verse 2. Now, back to this. So he asks a question that undermines the command of God, and then this process of deception and temptation continues. And the woman said to the serpent, let me just stop right there. You know the first mistake she made? She starts having a conversation with the deceiver. She starts having a conversation with the devil. I don't talk with the devil. I talk to the devil. Why am I going to have a conversation with someone that's unredeemable? And universalism has crept into the church now. And I was recently in North Carolina, and there was this universalist there, and he thought that he was going to lead the devil to Jesus. And he he was afflicted with all these diseases and all these demons in his body. I said, you know what? You're afflicted. I said, said, why won't you just let me cast these demons out so you can get healed? He says, I'm evangelizing them. I said, no, you're dying, dummy. Like, they're killing you. You're not evangelizing the enemy. He's not going to be redeemed. And so he had this idea, he's having these conversations with these demons. Of course, they're going to say, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll go along with that. And so the first mistake that she makes is she has this conversation with a deceiver, which gives his voice purpose. We do this in ministry today, but now we call it spiritual warfare prayer. Well, we'll come to church and we'll spend an hour talking to the devil and wonder why we always live in affliction and, be, and defeat is because we're giving his presence purpose in the atmosphere by only acknowledging who him instead of Jesus. You see, what you magnify, you glorify. For, for people that are struggling with, with thinking that demons are in America, let me share a story with you. 
about a year after my salvation, my dad, true to his word, helped me buy a home that I paid $4,500 for, by the way, <laughs> to give you some idea of his living condition. And we moved in, or I moved into this home the very first night at 3 o'clock in the morning. I started having a demonic spirit manifest itself in visible form in my bedroom in a form of a dark cloud. It came and hovered over me, and paralysis started at the bottom of my feet worked all the way up to the top of my head to the point I couldn't move nor speak. You had that happen too, see? And so this kept going on for weeks and months and almost another year I'm dealing with this. But every single night I didn't know what I was doing. You know what I was doing? I was preparing my heart to be attacked. How was I preparing my heart to be attacked? Because I began to think about, oh, no, this demon's going to come in here. And, 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 and I began to prepare myself in defeat. But you know what turned the table? I kept studying this word right here. I kept getting the weapon of warfare in my heart, and I finally come to this conclusion. I'm not going to tolerate the devil tormenting me. He's not here to torment me. I'm here to torment him. You need to realize you're part of the devil's punishment. He's not here to afflict you. You're here to afflict him. And I finally got to this point in my heart and my life. I said, you know, I'm not tolerating this. You see, what you will tolerate, you will always have to tolerate. And I said, I'm not going to tolerate this nonsense. I'm not going to talk to him. I'm going to talk with him. I'm going to talk to him. And tonight, I'm making a decision. When this demon comes up, I'm going to tell him to get his butt out of my house. And immediately, the spirit quickened my heart and says, don't go to sleep tonight. Stay awake and wait. Stay awake and wait for the demon. And so I did. I was sitting in my bedroom. I was waiting for the demon to, to manifest. And, it's, and sure enough, 3 o'clock in the morning, it manifested in a dark cloud. And the spirit says, now go into the kitchen, grab a chair, bring the chair into your bedroom, and tell the demon to sit in the chair and watch you worship Jesus. <laughs> and so that's what I did. I went and grabbed this chair, sitting in front of this demon. I says, now you are going to sit right here, and you're going to watch me worship Jesus. And I turned my back to the demonic. You know what I did? I broke the human agreement I was given with my attention. You see, it's the attention that we give the demonic that empowers his presence. You never saw Jesus going from village to village saying, where's the devil? What's he doing over there? He went from village to village and identifying what the father was doing because it was what the father was doing that was destroying what the devil was doing. It was through the advancement of the kingdom that the demonic was being dismantled. And I turned my back on the demonic, and when I did, it broke that human agreement. And this is what I started to do, family. And I encourage you, if you need to do this in your home, you need to do this. And I began to magnify the lordship of Christ in my house, and I began to say this, Lord Jesus, I lift you up as the king of this house, as the Lord of my life. I lift you up as the God of all creation, and by your blood, I've been purchased, and I've been washed, and I've been purified, and made clean, and whole, and pure, and I magnify you and I lift you up in my home and I did this for like 10 minutes and I turned back around and the demon was in a fetal position in the floor in fear had materialized into a, a, this figure in a fetal position and I looked at him and I says now you leave my house and you never return again and I've never had a demonic attack like that since that day 
Now, I don't know where that demon went. He may have went to my neighbor's house. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I know is this. He didn't come back to my house. I don't tolerate the devil in my house because who is magnified in my house is Jesus. Family, you need to know that there's a spiritual battle out there, but you are the one that's in a victorious position. You are the one that already has everything that you need to walk in freedom, to walk in victory. Every area in your life where there is lack, it is a knowledge issue. It's a lack of understanding. If I preach you guys to sleep, I know I've been talking for an hour already. But this is like, this is a, a steak meal. You need to get on a carnivore diet. Get off all those carbs and just eat the meat of God's word. Amen. And so you see right here, that's the first mistake that she makes. Is she starts having this conversation with the enemy. But pay attention to what she says right here. Verse 2, Genesis 3. Is this helping? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Do you know that's not what God said? Genesis chapter 2, verse 17 says, He didn't say anything about touching it. And so she added to God's command. But here's a good factor. I don't, think that she, I don't think that she knew that she was not adding to God's command. Because when you look in Genesis chapter 2, it was actually Adam, before Eve was even created, that the command was spoken to. So I think her understanding of the command came from Adam and not God. And so I, I think Adam probably looked at his wife and was like, hey, babe, you see that tree right there? Don't, 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 don't eat that tree. Eat that tree. We, we're going to die. Matter of fact, babe, don't even touch that sucker. And I think Adam is the one that added to God's command, which became the lack of understanding that opened up the lie to be implanted. It was the ignorance. Oh, man. It was the ignorance in that addition that removed the weapon of protection. And now that voice, that lie can come into our heart. Is this helping? And so this is why I think she added to the command. It's because Adam added to that command. And so the enemy is going to emphasize this one point. And, and notice, in these temptations with the enemy, he came and highlighted the one thing that the, that the Lord told them not to do. He didn't come and magnify God's goodness. It's like, man, look at all the abundance God has given you. Man, isn't God a good God? No, he came and focused on that one thing in their life that God said don't do, and he, and he came to get them to focus on that one thing. That's the same way in your life. Many of you are walking in so much freedom and so much victory and so much abundance and so much blessing. My God, you live in the United States of America. I mean, even our homeless has good, has good clothes, has good food out of the back of restaurants, has cell phones, has good streets to walk up and down, has good bridges to sleep under, good boxes to build. I mean, I could take you to Africa and I can show you what poverty looks like. And what we do is we, we are focused on that one thing in our life. And God, you're just not providing. You must not love me. And he's like, my God, what else have I got to do to show these people that I love them? 
And so the enemy is always trying to get you to focus on these, on these one or two things in your life that magnifies what he wants you to see instead of what God wants you to see. Does that, that, that make sense? It says this, we may eat from the trees of the garden, but, but, of the fruit, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse 4, then the enemy jumps on that. He jumps on that opportunity. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You know, Adam and Eve were like God in every aspect of the way, except in this one area of, of the knowledge of good and evil. This one area of knowledge and good and evil is the only area that they, that they were not like God, because every bit of understanding that they, that they had at this point came directly from his voice, but what the enemy wanted them to do was to get their understanding from another source. And he says this, for God, listen, he's reinterpreting God to them. The serpent said, you surely would not die, for God knows. So now he's telling Adam and Eve about the nature of God. He, he's redefining the nature of God's goodness to them by saying, this tree is not something that he wants to protect you from. It's actually something he wants to keep you from. Because he knows if you partake of that, you'll become like him. You see, they're already created like him. They're already made in his image. And what the enemy does is try to convince you that you're not already like God so that you'll try to become who you already are. And you can never become who you already are because you have the belief that you're not that person. I almost started country rapping. <laughs> Did you hear that? If the enemy can, can convince you to perform to become who you already are, he's got you defeated. He's got you beat. Listen, you know that salvation is such a priceless gift that if you offered anything for it, it would simply cheapen its value? You cannot achieve or receive anything from the Lord based on your works or performance. It has to come of his gift of his grace. Cheap grace is your performance. And if the devil can get you to think that you have to work or perform to get in good graces with God, he actually causes you to build a barrier to having intimate fellowship with him. If you think God moves in your life based on your performance, then you'll relate what God does based on your obedience. Because <sighs> we'll start saying prayers like this. God, I've been fasting and I've been praying. I've been a pastor for 40 years. You des I deserve. And we build this, this theology that we think God relates to us based on our performance instead of his goodness. No, God gives to you because he is good, not because you are. And all of a sudden, and all of a sudden faith becomes an end in of itself, and we think faith is what moves God. Faith doesn't move God, it moves you. Faith is not about getting God to respond to you. It is about you responding to his goodness and his 
But when you have faith in faith, you actually begin to operate in manipulation and witchcraft. And you think what you do determines what he does. I mean, I'm going to blow up one day. Not because I'm mad, but because the Word of God is in me like fire in my bones. And sometimes I feel like I'm just going to explode with the Word of God. Like this right here will transform your life if you capture and grab what I'm talking about. Even in Romans chapter 4, when Paul is building this whole basis of justification on the basis of faith, he uses Abraham and David in Romans chapter 4, and he says, if Abraham gained anything, anything, it was, oh, I mean, I just messed it up. Go to Romans 4. Man, my mind's thinking faster than my lips can keep up, praise Jesus. Listen to what, 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 what Paul says right here in Romans 4 about Abraham. And I will get back on track. He says, what then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? In other words, his works or his performance, his deeds. It says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. You see, the only thing that you can achieve by your works or your performance is your ability to boast before man, but not before your heavenly father. Because your works or your performance didn't grant you access before him. You're justified by faith and faith alone, not by a combination of your works and grace. Now, I have a whole teaching called the two types of righteousness that I'm trying my best not to start teaching on right now. But this is ultimately, back to Genesis 3 right here, is, is the serpent is trying to say the reason that God is keeping this one thing from you is because he knows if you do this, You'll become this. If you do, you become. And it creates a cycle of defeat in our life because the issue is in your flesh, you can never perform enough. It's got to come as a gift of his grace and his goodness and his mercy. You follow me, Pastor? Is this helping? Now pay attention. For God knows that in the day you, you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6. Now notice that his voice is already in her heart. And because his voice is in her heart, now new desires is beginning to be formed. Because the very next statement Verse 6 says this, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Do you realize that she never saw this tree good for food until this moment? You see, deception will cause you to desire what was once undesirable. I would like to suggest to you that she was desiring for this fruit. That desire actually wasn't hers. It was the desire of Satan to be God. <laughs> it was, who did, who did Satan always want to be? 
He wanted to be God. He wanted to be the one in charge. And so, therefore, if I'm not formed in his image, I'm going to convince you that you're not either. If I cannot be like him, if I cannot be God, I'm going to convince you that you're not like God at all either. And so this desire is actually the desire of Satan that he, wa- that he wanted to be like him, wanted to be like God. It's not even her desire. And this desire is now taking on a form in her being. And this right here is the beginning stages of a sin nature being formed right there. I'm going somewhere. Don't go to sleep before we get there. I'm telling you, you may miss miss something. It's 11.20. Take a drink of water. I like you. But I don't hear people bearing witness with what you're saying. <laughs> I know the purpose. You know, the purpose of Sunday morning is to make sure you get out before, and go to the restaurant before all the other churches get there. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, you're going to feed us? No? Proper lie? Okay. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes. Notice she never saw this tree good for food nor pleasant to the eyes until this moment because the desire isn't hers. It's the desire of Satan. A tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Now let me ask you, before you eat something, what do you first have to do? You have to touch it. Because she added to God's command about the touch, she probably reached out and touched it and didn't die. So so in the moment, it seemed like Satan was telling her the truth and God was the one lying. You see, Satan will lie to you in a moment where it appears he's the one telling you the truth. He'll wait until you're sick and say, did God really say that by his wounds you are healed? I mean... And so he has lied to you in a moment where it appears what he is saying is more true than truth itself. So she took of his fruit and ate. And so when she took of this fruit, I promise you, what began to take place, she, she took of it, she didn't die, and it's like, oh. Well, maybe this is something that God was keeping from me instead of protecting me from. Maybe this is something that I, I can incorporate to my life because it, it, it's wisdom, it's knowledge, it's understanding. Is this helping? Verse 7 right here. And this is a key factor in this entire development of the story. All the way up to this point, the serpent is talking to, to, to Eve. And so Eve's disobedience to the command is a byproduct of deception. She was deceived into compliance. But you notice that the serpent was not talking to Adam, so therefore Adam was not deceived into, into compliance. His sin was not an act of deception, but an act of his will. And so Adam's sin was more severe because he wasn't deceived. 
And we want to harp on the fact that the woman got deceived when the reality is if the man was a man in the relationship and if he was a protector of that relationship and he was a steward of the commands of God, he would have looked at the situation and said, no, actually, this is what God said. If you partake, if you eat this, you shall surely die. And looked at that serpent and says, now you get your butt out of this garden and do not return. Adam had the opportunity right here to exercise authority and dominion over the situation, but he did not do it. You see, when God created Adam and Eve, he made them joint heirs with each other. Do you realize that joint heirs functions like a joint banking system? When you have a joint banking system, there's two signatures on that banking system. If I'm going to release funds out of my account into your account, it actually needs the signature of both those people to give permission. And so Adam and Eve were joint heirs with each other, and so the only thing the serpent needed was the signature of Eve and the signature of Adam for what they had in their possession to be given into his, his control. It was in this process right here that Adam and Eve was making the serpent the god of this age. It was in this situation right here that the authority and dominion that God had given man was being delegated and surrendering over to the demonic so that the devil now becomes the one that has dominion. Why do you think Jesus had to come back to take back that authority and that dominion? Because man gave it to him, gave it to the devil. Is this helping? But you know the good news? When Jesus came in the form of man, he took back that authority and dominion and gave it back to us as a church. Now we're joint heirs with him. And Jesus is not about to sign his name to something that relinquishes the authority and the kingdom in which you now possess back over to the devil's, devil's control. In other words, you may be living in compliance with the devil, but the Jesus inside of you would never be in compliance with the devil. So it doesn't matter how defeated you can become, the authority and the dominion and the kingdom in which you have can never be taken from your possession because Jesus is assigning his name over to it. And so when people say, I'm taking my authority, you never lost it. You're not taking your authority. You're now learning how to exercise your authority. The whole idea that you have to take it means someone took it from you. You got to take it back. No, you never lost it because you're joint heirs with Jesus. You're in a better covenant. You're in a better situation. And again, I say stuff like this, and people come to me and say, wait a minute, this is really true. Then why, if Jesus really lives inside me, then why, why am I not seeing the manifestation of it? Because again, he comes as a comforter, not a controller. He comes as a helper, not someone to force you into obedience and compliance with him. So he's willing to live inside of you until you learn how to fully yield to him. The problem is not with Jesus. The problem is with us. All right. It's getting mighty quiet in this Baptist church. I'm kidding. Verse 7. 
It says, then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Made themselves coverings. And so now you see Adam and Eve partake of this, this tree, and now it says their eyes are opened. Well, does that mean that they were walking around blind up to this point? No. What were their eyes open to? Another source of understanding. The knowledge of good and evil. They partake of it, and so now their eyes are opened. And actually, when you begin to study out that eyes are opened, it's talking about perception according to the senses. Okay, let me try this out over here. It is very possible in this moment right here when they partook of it was when they became governed by their senses instead of the voice of their father. All of a sudden, their perception of reality had changed, hence eyes opened. And it was very possible in this moment right here is that when man became bound by all the natural five senses that they have, and now all of their perceptions is only through that avenue instead of directly from God himself. I know, that's why I'm just, I'm just letting it sink in. <laughs> Do you also understand or see right here, this is very possible where man also began to be governed by the conscience because what is the definition of a conscience? The internal self-knowledge of right and wrong. What is the function of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Their eyes are open. Now they're governed by natural senses instead of the voice of their father. Now their understanding is coming by self-revelation instead of God-revelation. Now that doesn't mean that God in the new covenant cannot sanctify the senses and the conscience. Man, I have a whole teaching on that that would help you hearing the voice of God through your senses. Because you can sanctify them, hence sanctify them. But right here, the issue is they became governed in this way. Governed in this way. Now, they're not guided by what God says. They're not guided by his spirit or what he's leading them to do. They're guided by their opened perception, their open senses. I even believe that this right here is when, when logical, rational, natural thinking began to take place. Now they're not thinking God-like, they're thinking world-like. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. You see, it was in this moment right here, this natural, logical thinking replaces the mind of God. All right. I'll pick back up on that. This evening, I think I've given you enough to, to think about for a while. One more point, though. <laughs> I started reading the Bible again. <laughs> Sometimes what i got to do, i just got to close my Bible and not pick it back up. Because if I pick it back up, I see something else I want to say. 
But notice what now this internal self-knowledge directs them to do. It says they knew they were naked. They never knew that they were naked until this point. Did God tell them that they were naked? No. Exactly. Yeah. See, she keeps, you've read this before, obviously. Oh, yeah. So God didn't tell tell them that, that they were naked. Where did that understanding come from? It came from that from their conscience, from that self-knowledge, from that knowledge of tree and good and evil. But notice what it goes on to say right here. And they sewed fig leaves together to make made themselves coverings. Made for themselves coverings. They saw themselves naked, number one. Number one, they never saw themselves that way before. Now they see themselves bare, unprotected, shame. They see themselves in that way. So, oh, no, I am, I'm this way, so I must cover. I must cover myself by the work of my hands. You see it? Because, well, now this internal self-knowledge is perverting what God had perfected. And now this internal self-knowledge, now you have to cover yourself because you, you, it, it's shameful for you to be bare like this. So now it produced inside of them shame, guilt, and condemnation. What is a definition of the conscience in 1 John chapter 3, verse 21? If your conscience does not condemn you, you have confidence before God. Condemnation, shame, all those things comes from the conscience, not from God. There you go. Amen. I like you. You're, you. You need to travel with me everywhere I go and be my amen person. So, so let me wrap it up with this. I know I'm putting a lot out there in an hour and a half here. I know there's a lot to think about. But I want you to go home and meditate on what I'm talking about. Because when you violate the conscience, that condemnation, that judgment, it comes from that. That's why it feels like God is doing it. But really, it's, it's the condemnation of that. But 1 John chapter 3, verse 20, the previous verse says, but God is greater than the conscience. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14 says, and the blood of Christ will cleanse the conscience from dead works, hence the covering of yourself. You see, what I do is I submit my conscience under the government, government of the Spirit. He still uses it, but now my understanding of right and wrong, of truth and good, comes from the conviction of His Spirit through that avenue. That makes sense? I sanctify it, basically. As a matter of fact, I may talk about the sanctified imagination tonight. I'm not sure if I will or not, but I may get into that. Last night when I was here... I called out a word of knowledge for, for backs, and several people came up to me and was like, I'm, yeah, I'm completely healed in my back. And I go, as soon as you said it, all the pain in my back left. Is there anybody here that was here last night that that's, that, that happened with? Yeah, right over here. Right over here. All the back pain left. You just want to testify real quick about it, brother? Just, just what happened?
<laughs> so I gave a, a wrong word of knowledge and you got healed, basically. <laughs> see, do, do, he, he, see, that's a key factor in what he just said. He didn't say, oh, that was for somebody else, poor pitiful me. He says, no, I'm going to take that for myself because I have a back and I have a back problem. And look, look what happened, all that pain goes. So how do you feel now, brother? So, so you out there trying to hurt it again? <laughs> oh, yeah, I got you. Yeah, I get you, brother. I have a two-acre yard. I got to cut. No, but I love it too, man. Green, yes. Golf court, right? Beautiful. So, so you mind testifying, young lady? Amen. So how much? So that must be a significant change from last night to today in your back. There is. Okay, because a man was poking at you. Right. Come on, praise Jesus, praise Jesus. What about you, Laney? Laney or Lena? Laney. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow, come on, praise Jesus for that. You know, someone was saying one time, well, we might, you call out back pains and stuff like that a lot. Well, if you, if you study, like, medical issues in the world, back problems is one of the top issues. So, of course, God is going to call out back problems a lot. It's not something I'm just saying out of my natural logical thinking. No, I, the Spirit is leading me to say that. That's why you're seeing the, the fruit of that. Is anybody else you want to testify by something that the Lord touched you with last night? Yes, go ahead, brother. Wow. Wow. He said he, just if you didn't hear him, he says he normally has pain from the back of the neck all the way down to the bottom of your feet. And today, the, predominantly, all that pain is gone. The Most of the pain is gone. Is that correct? Come on. Praise Jesus for that. Like, you know, you know what I like about God is there's no side effects when he heals you. You know what I'm saying? Like you take medication, there's side effects with that medication. But with God, there's none. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. He said, when he stood up last night, when I everybody to stand, he said he, that was the longest that he has been able to stand in a long time. Isn't that Come on, praise Jesus. Well, let that could be a continue to happen with you, brother. This young lady back here, somebody raised their hand. Speak up. Okay. Okay. It's good. You need to read it. The large print was blurry? So now you can read the normal print. 
Wow, isn't that amazing? Did you guys just hear that? So, so it's funny that now the Laura's Prince is blurry to her because <laughs> God is restoring her eyesight back to normal. You know, I have 20-20 vision. You know, I have 20-20 hearing. Praise God. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's like, like I, you know, God has purchased our help, our wholeness, our freedom, our victory. We don't have to tolerate these things. Now, I will say this. Romans chapter 8, verse 23 says that we're still waiting for the redemption of our body. So we're still in a physical body, and it's still susceptible to things. But Romans chapter 8, verse 11 says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you to give life to your mortal body. So even though you have the frailties of the flesh, you also have the resurrection power of the spirit living inside of you that overcomes and supersedes the flesh. So you don't have to die for some... You could just, I think this is how I'm going to go. This, as a matter of fact, it is. I'm going to get, when I get ready, I'm going to go to bed, I'm going to close my eyes and transition. I ain't going to die because of some disease or cancer or anything like that. I don't accept that nonsense. Go ahead. Mm. I'm listening to what you're saying over there, but it's happening to me. And I'm like, is this really happening? Because I was hearing all those things. I'm like, wow. I feel like it's just, I feel like I was just being filled up. It was like I was Amen. being filled up. And I was like, I'm just standing here by myself and I'm listening and I'm going, wow, that's crazy. And how that was happening. But, you, but what you said was just, when you're in his presence, he wants to fill you. And yeah. that's what well, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. That word filled means a continuous, ongoing infilling. means it's continuous. It doesn't stop because some of the, some of the issues that people come with, like, well, we already have the Holy Spirit infill. Like, we, we, we have it. Like, absolutely. But he is constantly filling you and infilling you. I'll say this. The constant the constant infilling of the Spirit is dependent upon yielding to the initial infilling. What stops the flow is you not yielding to the Spirit that lives within, but when you yield to the Spirit that lives within, yeah, there's that constant. Just, that's why, I, that's why I, I live in joy. I don't get depressed and anxious and all this stuff. Like I'm not a natural man. I'm a supernatural man. So I don't have natural problems, amen. Like you're a Christian. We shouldn't have the same problems the world has. Anyway, anybody else want to testify? Go ahead, brother. Okay. Amen, brother. Well, let it happen right now. Matter of fact, just stand up right now. We're just going to go for that. Oh, I just thank you for, that, for what you're doing in his life, for what you're doing in his back. And I ask that you would increase that work right now in Jesus' name. All that pain, all the remainder of that pain be gone in the name of Jesus right now. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now test it out now, brother. Just, just lean over and test it out. Lean over and test it out. Well, I'm, I'm giving you an act, of, an, an act of faith. That's what I'm doing. Let me explain that to you in a minute. All right, now come back up. Now how does it feel? Come on, praise Jesus. Well, don't find it. Praise God. I bless what the Lord is doing. And thank you for testifying with that. Amen. Come on. Come on. Anybody else would like to testify? Yes, right here. Okay. Amen. Come on. Amen. Amen. I'm glad that hit, hit home with you. That was a big factor for me as well when I realized he's an illusionist and he needs my cooperation to bring substance to that illusion. And when I realized that, man, it was a game changer for me. Now, when we're in an atmosphere like this, the reason I'm having people testify because what's happening is other people in the room, you're probably hearing this and thinking, well, I have some things going on in my body too. So if you need healing in your physical body, I just want you to stand up to your feet right now. If you need physical healing in somewhere in your body, even if it's something you can't necessarily test. I was actually praying for this guy that had a brain tumor, and it was, all, it was at a size where we couldn't test it to know you know, if, if we couldn't visibly see it or anything. I prayed for him. I told him just to move his head like this. He went to the doctor two weeks later, and the tumor was gone. Didn't feel a thing. So even though you're not feeling anything or something you may not be able to test, I'm still going to give you an action. The reason I do that is because faith finds its completion through our obedience. And when I give you a step of faith, an act, what releases, it releases the power of what you've received, right? That's what it does. That's the reason I'm asking you to do things. That's why Jesus is like, hey, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. <laughs> it gives people a command. So that's why we have this practice. So when we're in an atmosphere like this, a lot more is happening than what we realize. I want to bring attention to it. So whatever your situation or issue is right now, I just want you to close your eyes and hold your hands like you're receiving a gift. I'm going to ask you to do th something, and that is to not pray as I'm praying. Because sometimes it's, well, all the time really, it's hard to receive when you're giving out. Now, after I pray and the Spirit touches you and you feel a bubbling up, at that point you begin to pray because then it's the Spirit doing it, okay? So I'm just going to ask all you to do, close your eyes, hold your hands like you're receiving a gift, and just receive. You receive by faith. You don't achieve by faith. So Holy Spirit, I just ask that right now, we know that you're already here, so I just ask that you manifest your presence and your power in this room in a tangible way that every single person senses and feels that in their physical body. And God, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would touch their physical body right now. And I just speak to every pain, every ailment, every issue, whatever it is, I command the physical body to respond to the Word of God that by Christ's wounds you are healed. And so I speak to every bit of pain, every bit of uh, mobility issues, back issues, neck issues, uh, leg issues, hip issues, whatever it is, eye issues, I command healing virtue to come into your physical body right now in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Now let's just, just wait, rest in his presence for a minute, just rest there for a few minutes. 
Yeah, the Spirit of the Lord is, I just see him resting over some of you right now. This is a young lady on, right in front of me wearing a blue shirt on the second row. The Spirit of the Lord is all over you. I bless what the Holy Spirit is doing right now. I'm just going to come lay hands on your hand. So just receive. There it is. There it is. More Holy Spirit. Fill her up, fill her up, fill her up, fill her up. More Holy Spirit. Yeah, you're just receiving. That's all you're doing. I feel tension in my body leaving, so I know somebody, tension in your muscles is leaving right now. Some of you have some kind of spasms in the lower back right now. That, that Those spasms or those tension in those muscles are, are loosening, relieving right now. Yeah. Lord, I thank you for your power. I thank you that this is already a provision of, the, of your cross, and our faith is simply appropriating what you've already provided by your grace. In Jesus' mighty name. Now, I'm going to give you 20 seconds here. I just want you to, to do something, to move your body around, to test it out. If you need to move around, walk around, I can help you do a backflip, whatever you want to do. Just to test it out, just to move around. But I want to see movement in here. Even if, it, again, if it's something that you cannot necessarily test, just move around because it's an act of faith that's releasing the power of what you receive. That's all it is. Move it around. Arms, neck, back, feet, whatever it is, just move it around. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask if you are at least 80% better, I'm going to ask that you wave a hand so that I can see you. And I'm going to explain why I said 80%. If you're at least 80%, just after testing it out right now, if you're at least 80% better, just wave a hand so I can see you in the room. Just after testing it out. Right over, right over here. Right here, brother. You're, come on. The Lord has continued to move powerfully in you. Anybody else? We have, a, we have two people right here. So what's going on with you, young lady, over on, the, on my left side, your right, with your right hand? Why are you raising your hand there? What happened? Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So you, so how can how can you tell the Lord is touching you? Feel it? Come on, praise Jesus. Come on, praise Jesus. Amen, amen. Somebody else raised your hand when I said to acknowledge eighty percent. Yes. What, what's going on? Okay. Okay, what is it? Well, you do it, brother. Come on, that's not foolish at all. Lord, I bless what you're doing with him, Lord. We partner with his faith. I speak strength into the body, strength into the body, strength into the body, healing and wholeness into the body right now in Jesus' name. I speak energy and wholeness and mobility right now over this young man, Lord. I speak today of it. Young man, young man, young man, I declare that over him right now in Jesus' name. Come on. Praise Jesus. Let's praise Jesus for this. Give me a high five, brother. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, now, were you able to do that before? That's been years since he's done that. I, if, hey, if you're tired, you can take a seat now, brother. But I get it. So it's been years since you've ran around like that. Now, how do you feel since you, since you did that? Wow. 
So it's been so long since you ran, so you felt a little unstable doing it. But how do you feel right now since you took that lap? Ready to? Come on. Isn't that good? Now, now after, after we just witnessed that, I want you to test yourself out again. Because what happens is he just testified to something, which is building, building in you more expectation and all those things. So just act on it against the Lord. I bless what you're doing in this room. I speak healing into every single person's body. I command all that pain to go right now in Jesus' mighty name. Now just test yourselves out again. Move around. If it's a neck issue, move the neck. If it's a knee issue, move the, move the legs. If it's back, bend over, stuff. Just do whatever the Lord wants you to do here. Now, if you're at least 80% better or more, just wave your hand so I can see you. Right here, what's happening, brother? Yeah. Come on. Praise Jesus. Come on, man. That's amazing. What about you? Same thing with the shoulder? Wow. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? But you feel good now? Come on, praise Jesus. No pain. Anybody else want to testify just real quickly? <coughs> now, some of you may be asking, why am I saying 80% not 100%? Some of you thinking that? Well, if you, if you are thinking that, this is why we do that. If I was to say 100%, there, would, there could be several people in here that would be 98% better, but they would feel disingenuous saying 100% that they wouldn't raise their hand. But yet, God would be moving powerfully in here. But if I say 80%, that's a significant number, <coughs> and then people would feel a lot more comfortable acknowledging that, which would show to everybody else, oh, no, the Spirit of the Lord is doing something in this room. And so that's why we have that 80% principle that we use. Now, before we <coughs> close the service right here, the reason I'm doing it in this way is because I'm trying to break the mindset that we always have to have an altar call in order for God to touch us. Not necessarily. Now, I, I'm all for altar calls, and I do it a lot. But <coughs> last night and this morning, I felt like the Lord wanted me to do it this way, to have you right where you are so, so you can see I'm not necessarily laying hands on you, but the Spirit is still touching you and moving you, which <coughs> I love anyways is because it eliminates me. It wasn't because William Wood laid hands on you. I have good news for you. William Wood didn't heal you anyway. <laughs> Jesus did. All right, guys, listen, let's go on a lunch break right now. We'll be back here, what, 6? Go ahead.